The stories you're about to hear are entirely true. They are some of history's most notorious and sinister mysteries. Whenever possible, the actual police and witnesses involved have been used in the recreation of these events. Your hosts, senior mystery analysts, Ben Pateski and John Nafziger, have been exploring the paranormal and the unknown for over a year. They dig deep for society's own good, working in the dark to bring the truth to light. This is Drunk Mysteries. Welcome to another enticing and exotic and sexually explicit episode of Drunk Mysteries. My name is Ben Pateski, and I am joined as always by my co-host, John Napsker. John, how are you doing tonight? Ben, I'm feeling great. Um, honestly, it's it's been a wonderful Saturday. It's been a wonderful Friday. It's been a wonderful weekend. It's been a weekend. We got back from our trip in Colorado. Colorado. Which was fantastic. I had a great time. at our producer's friend's house who we met in the 1990s. Yeah, and exactly. He, he let us record a podcast from there. But you know what? We're not here to talk about the past. True. Very what true. we're here to do is we're here to talk about the future. And in order for this podcast to have a future, there's only one thing we ask of our listeners that you guys just to take a one second out of your life, subscribe, review, and if you do, we will be your official servants. You can consider a, you can consider yourself yeah, our I like masters. This. I like this. You can you can do as you please with us. You'll have, do we'll, as you say. We'll do your bidding. Do your bidding. Your to evil, an extent, your maybe. evil will. You can send us a message. And by the way, we want to give a shout out to someone who did uh who did just that. His name, what was his name? Drunken Grizzly. One of our first genuine organic reviews. It felt great. Uh, so if you're out there, if you're listening, Drunken Grizzly, uh, send us an email, uh, drunkmysteries at gmail.com. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, maybe get you on our street team uh, yeah. as a member of our street team. We need but purple working the beat, we need looking bodies. for mysteries out there that That's we true. can go out and solve. This exactly. is Drunk Mysteries. John, what are we drinking on tonight? Uh, tonight we are actually drinking uh, Arrogant Bastard Ale. It's from uh, Arrogant Brewing, and it's called Arrogant... What's it called? Hang on. This is a terrible sale, if I've ever heard one. Yeah, what's it? So, oh, it's from Stone. I forgot. It's Stone Brewing Arrogant Bastard Ale. Sorry, it's been a while. Um, they, it's an aggressive beer. It's uh, an aggressive 7. beer. 7.2 percent. I'm not going to lie. I like it a lot. I like everything from the imagery on the front. It's a little devil man holding a bottle. And he says, you're not worthy. Yeah, they have a whole level spiel on the back that says, like, you basically suck and you should go back to light beer. It's 7.2% alcohol, and you know what? It tastes damn good. And if I were you, and by the way, we had a pleasant surprise. When our producer, Rick Warren, shout out to Rick, went out and picked up Arrogant Bastard Ale, it came in a box, and we just thought it was a normal 12-pack. But to our dismay and our pleasant surprise, it was actually a 12-pack of 16-ounce Tall Boys. Yeah. Because that's just the way... um, Arrogant Bastard Ale does it. Yeah. They're fresh, they're fun, and they're number one. So maybe go buy one, won't you? <laughs> Perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, Ben, we're going to be talking tonight. Um, I just want to start. I want to paint a picture. I want to pull back the fog okay. of the world, of the unknown. And I'm going to bring us into the Ural Mountains, or simply the Urals. 
And they're a mountain range that runs approximately from north to south through western Russia from the coast of the Arctic Ocean to the Ural River in northwestern Kazakhstan. That's huge. Yeah, it's a large landmass. And they're known for their unimaginable, just mystic and cultural lore. Very shamanistic, very, you know, spiritual of okay. the non-religious variety. Um, the mountains are famous for their hostile wilderness and have been a tempting spot for exploration by daring Russians throughout history. Many have died trying to conquer these mountains, but no deaths in history perhaps are as gruesome or mysterious or terrifying or, dare I say, chilling as the event known as the, the Dyatlov Pass Incident. That's true, John, because hypothermia played a big part in the Dyatlov Pass incident, so it definitely was chilling. So, that John, sounds crazy. The, what the Dyatlov Pass incident was, before we get into it, just so you folks know what happened, is in the mid-1950s, in the heart of communist-ruled Soviet Russia, a group of nine hikers was found dead after going into the Urals. They all died in different and bizarre ways that shocked investigators. Baffling! The mysterious has baffled as well as terrified Russians for over half a century. And tonight, we dive in. John, why don't you give us a little bit of background? That sounds... Oh, man, I can't wait. I've, I've been wanting to talk about this mystery for a while. Um, but as he says, the Dyatlov Pass incident... Dyatlov Pass uh, incident refers to the unsolved deaths of nine hikers in the Ural Mountains in the Soviet Union, now Russia, in February of 1959. The experienced trekking group were all from the Ural Polytechnical Institute and had established a camp on the slopes of Kalat Sayakal in an area now named in honor of the group's leader, Igor Dyatlov. So I guess it has a different name now. Yeah, they, they changed it. Maybe it became like sort of colloquially known as Dyatlov Pass, and then maybe they just decided, like, let's just call <laughs> we it We shall that. change it to Dyatlov Pass. Exactly. It um, is good and haunting. Yeah, Igor, what a great name. <laughs> During the night, something caused them. So th at least this is what we do know yeah. about, like so to speak. We don't necessarily know what actually. And we're gonna get in into between. the and we're gonna get into the background later. But at but some this is point, just an overview. During uh, the night, something caused them to tear their way out of their tents and flee the campsite while inadequately dressed, almost butt naked. Yeah, they were inadequately inadequately dressed for heavy snowfall and sub-zero temperatures. So, after the group's bodies were discovered, an investigation by Soviet Union authorities determined that the six had died from a mix of hypothermia, while the other three people that had died showed signs of physical trauma and bizarre torture mm. wounds. Just One victim had a fractured skull, two others had major chest fractures. Additionally, another team member was found to have her tongue cut out as well as her eyes. The investigation concluded that, quote, and this, by the way, this is an official quote from Soviet officials, that, quote, an unknown and compelling force had caused their deaths. Numerous theories have been put forward to account for the unexplained deaths, including animal attacks, uh. hypothermia, avalanche, military involvement, or perhaps even something far stranger. Access to the region was inexplicably closed after the murders for three years. And um, let's get into the background. And that's the this. So okay, let's recap for a second. Okay. So we've basically got. Well, we're about to go into the deeper history. Like start from the top. Cause, so folks, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I know, but sure, I'm just you're saying, right. Let's, you're let's right. Kind of gone over it. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1958, 
A group was formed for a skiing expedition. And by the way, this is the background of what happened. Okay, so we're going to get into the, like, the beginnings. The, the very beginning. The foundation. This is the origin story. Yes. In 1958, a group was formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in Svrdoblast? Svrdoblast. Just call it Svrdoblast. Yeah. Oblast, a Soviet Union. Honestly, it's probably not even named that anymore, so I don't think it's Yeah, it's a anymore. different country now. Yeah. So the group was made up of nine unbelievably handsome just ruggedly built Russian men and women, all of them, just top to bottom. They were muscular. Mm. Uh, they sweated evenly when they worked out, which is, you know, a good sign. Of These people are just coming health. straight out of a G.I. Joe box, basically. Yeah, fucking, they look like, it's a bunch of, like, you know, 1950s, uh, that one guy from Rocky IV. Um, oh, Drago. Yeah, Drago, that's the name. Um, so, led by the no-nonsense and die-hard communist Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute. He was the leader of this ragtag group that was assembled of mostly other fellow students and peers at the university. The other nine members of the group included... Number one, Yuri Doroshenko. Demolitions expert. Number two, Ludmila Dubinina. Fashion model and linguist. Number three, Yuri Kurovashenko. Beastmaster. Number four, Alexander Kolotov. Expert marksman. Number five, Zinyeda Kolmogorovo. Former Russian ballerina and scout seductress. Number six, Rustin Slobodin. Soviet party representative, diplomat. Number seven, Nikolai Firo Brenoles. Military intelligence, barkeep. Number eight, Samen Zolotyov. Tracker. Uh. Number nine, Yuri Yudin. Tech specialist and sole survivor. Sweet mother of pearl. Now, John, let's get back into this. So, each member of the group, mm. which consisted of eight this men. This plot is thick, man. It's thick as a fucking 12-inch dick. Um, yeah, beard? I can do that right now. Here, take another one. Of, yeah, take another yeah, one of these delicious. Arrogant bastard. Arrogant oh, bastard. So, anyways, I'm gonna, yeah, <coughs> as I was saying before, I was rudely interrupted. Each member of the group, which consisted of the eight men and two women that we just told you about, were extremely experienced hikers with ski tour experience, and would be receiving expert certification upon their return. At the time, this was the highest certification available in Russia and the Soviet Union, yeah. and required <clears throat> candidates to traverse over 190 miles throughout their career, career in the open... Don't fucking come <laughs> at me, boy. In the open wilderness. The goal of the expedition was to reach the mountain of Oratitan, a mountain so profound in Russian lore and culture that many say once you climb upon its misty peaks, you will forever be blessed by your ancestors for all time. So this route, when they were going in um, the early days of February was estimated as a Category 3 route, which, again, mm. in the Soviet Union at the time, John, was considered the most difficult kind of route That's that a, someone could route. possibly go on. The yeah, I mean, route, if route you've three. ever been skiing, it's a double black diamond. Actually, okay, no, yeah, Category 3. Yeah, I know exactly. what that means. So what happened next? So the group arrived by train at Ivdel, a city at the center of the northern province of Sverdlovs Oblast, in the early morning hours of the 25th of January, 1959. Mm. They then would take a truck to Vizai, a Lari village that is the last inhibited settlement to the north. So basically, basically, no one inhabits any of the settlements past that settlement. It's ghostly. 
Oh, no man. one goes up this mountain any further because it's it's. There's a lot of history of that rod. <laughs> Uh, while spending the night in Vizai, the skiers purchased and ate loaves of bread to keep their stamina up for the following day's hike. So they, they were be... doing marathon runner style. Exactly. They were carb loading, let's okay. be honest. So, John, think the plot's about to thicken a little oh, bit. Oh, man. So just two days later, after gorging themselves on delicious Russian bread. Fresh on the, breads. On the 27th of January. By the way, bread's like the worst thing you can eat. I'm just throwing that out there. But on the 27th of January, they began their trek toward Ortair from Vizai. And on the 28th of January, one of their members, Yuri Yudin, the tech guy, also the sole survivor, who, by the way, suffered from several health ailments, was forced to turn back. This is okay. how he This is how he this why he's the only sole survivor. Yeah, so it's not an exciting survival okay, story. Okay, so it's so not a mystery so, why he's yeah, the survivor. He's so he was, for, he was forced to turn back due to knee and joint pain. I would you actually, could argue he I know was a never cure really... For that, by the way. If you've ever heard of... Never mind, we won't get into if it. You could argue he wasn't really in the expedition anyway. You're a Yudin. I mean, he got to the mo- he got to the last. Oh, guys, my, t- my tech isn't working. I must turn back. It was his knee. Sure. I'm no stranger to knee injuries, John. And by God, I respect this man for knowing how to turn back when um when his knee joint. So, guys, I'm also involved in a small company called Never Tap Gear. And what Never Tap Gear does is if you're involved in grappling or jujitsu or anything like that, they provide you with the best knee protection available yes they are a sponsor and yes i am the owner of the company you're the, you're really just like a funding of this endeavor exactly <laughs> so yeah that kind of sponsor. i'm the patron of this so to speak through my through my prowess and my um and my mission to Business keep your knees savvy. healthy but anyway that's neither here nor there had yuri had a never tap knee guard on this trek i have no doubt that he would have been able point. he would have been able point. to make it to the top of that mountain and, and ironically would have died with everyone else <laughs> <laughs> so so what happens next on the 31st of january the uh, group arrived at the ledge of a highland area and began to prepare for climbing in a wooded valley, they cached surplus food and equipment that would be used later for the trip back. So they basically like set aside supplies because yeah, like they're going to get back. They're making a little cache. They're going to get back to that point and be like, "All right, we need food." So mm-hmm. like we'll get to that. Um, so the following day, the first of February, the hikers started to move through the pass. It seemed they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side of the the pass. So it's hmm. like a valley kind of area. Yeah. Yeah, so it's so like a ridge. It's probably narrow. It's not a California-style valley sure. where there are houses. Sure. But it's a Russian-style valley where there's just desolation death. and death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and possibly supernatural killers. Yeah. So um, anyway, so they started up and they make it to the opposite side. But because of worsening weather conditions, snowstorms, and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and deviated west up towards the top camp where on the slope mm. of the mountain, rather than moving a mile downhill to a forested area, which would have offered them some shelter from the elements. So, so basically, basically they chose to camp in a very, very open yeah, spot. Yeah, can you real quick run me back from, like, give me a recap from, like, all right, they've arrived at the village. Okay, so what? So here's where we are right now. Three sentences. Okay. I, I can't do it in three sentences. That was one already. But, okay, so we have ten Russians of varying skill sets that have arrived at a most northern frontier village in Russia. No one lives north of this village. They're about to adventure into unexplored mountainous territory. Um, one, of their fa- one, of their, one of their cohorts has knee pain. Unfortunately, he didn't have a knee guard, so he had to leave. Um, so the nine of them, led by... Um, 
uh, Dyatlov, their leader, Igor. venture into these mountains. While they're there, for the weather gets pretty shitty for some reason. Um, and they're, I mean, obviously we weren't with them, so we don't know what was behind this decision, but they have two choices. One is that while the weather is getting shitty, there's a snowstorm coming, they can stay on the mountain that they are on, or they can just walk a mile back, not very far, a half hour walk maybe. I mean, I don't know how snowy it is already, so yeah. it might have been difficult, but um, actually it could have been extremely difficult. Like, I don't know what was behind the decision. A mile isn't that far. A mile is like from here to... Yeah, I know, but we don't... Like, I want you to imagine for a second, like, it's... It's it's fucking like whiteout conditions. You can't see your hand in front of your face if you're holding it out there. And yeah. a mile behind you, like maybe the snow is three feet deep. Like that's a long way. Then have you ever been in deep snow walking around? It's tough. Yeah, dude. I grew up in the Midwest. Yeah. See, so you know. Um, but yeah, that, I that, see your point. The, I, I see your point. But the, the Russian issue, mountains. It yeah. Be okay. Tough. You're right. I see your point that it's it's a it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, possibly situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Um, it's tough. I can't say that I maybe would have really known. So, okay, so where were we in the notes? Where did you, where did you leave off? So, okay, so there is much speculation as to why their leader, Dyatlov, made the call to not turn back. Yeah, right? not go to the woods. So Yudin, the guy who made it home because of his knee injury, later postulated that Dyatlov probably didn't want to lose the altitude that they had gained, or he decided to practice camping on the mountain slope. So okay, like, it seems an odd strategy to practice camping. Remember, they're young. Remember yeah, but they they're are, young. yeah, but here's the thing. They're young. Like, they're 23. You know, they're, they're experienced, no doubt, but they're, they're young. They're experienced, but yeah. But, I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, um, Yudin, the guy who survived, did not seem to think it was because they couldn't make it back to the woods like I thought they might not have been able to because yeah. of whiteout conditions. He think it was just because, like, they decided to. Yeah. But, I mean, the other thing is they are experts. True. Even if they're young, like, they're experts. And that's kind of why I almost po question your postulation of, like, oh, they couldn't make I mean, it back a mile. I mean, they're four years younger than we are. Sure. It's not but, that much yeah, younger. Yeah, but, like, I mean, I guess – but I'm just calling it back into your question about, like, why they couldn't turn back because – I mean, maybe there's something they didn't know. Maybe they even felt like something was after them. Yeah, I mean, right? we, again, we don't know the circumstances. Yeah. Like, there could have been something in the woods that they... That, Do we that, think at this point, like, there could have... Yeah, maybe that was it. Well, maybe. We're getting let's, the let's fuck go. out of those woods. All right, well, let's... Hold on. There's more that we have to go over. Right. So things... Continue, please. I want okay. you to keep going. So, folks, let's get down to the actual disappearance. So the last actual noted thing we know about them is that they took camp on that fateful mountainside after choosing not to go back in the woods when the weather got bad. So time passes, and people are starting to wonder. And um, before leaving that most northern village, Dyatlov, the group's leader, had agreed that he would send a telegram to um, their friends and colleagues at the sports club that they're part of as soon as the group returned. It was expected that they return no later than February 12th. But before um, Yudin, the guy whose knee injury forced him to quit, left, Dyatlov had told him that it could take longer, so, you know, tell people not to worry if... Don't you panic. Know, don't panic if we we don't send you a message via telegram or phone before the 12th. Crow. So, days pass. It gets to February 20th. Still, no word from Dyatlov or any of the other um, various Russian experts. That's and, a long time. Yeah, and, and relatives and friends begin to grow suspicious that something might have happened after, you know... A week and a half of they not don't show anything. up where they say they're going to be, basically. Yeah, right? and um, basically, they were worried, and it's the Soviet Union in the 1950s, and the government there is, you know, Cold extremely War. oppressive. They don't give a fuck about the people that live there, so they're not telling them things all the time. 
And um, the families are growing suspicious that the government might have done something with them because people mm. were getting arrested for crimes they didn't do constantly. Exactly. So you could get arrested for being in the mountains. You could get arrested for doing know. anything. You could get arrested for not doing anything. Yeah. Which, like, you could arbitrarily just be arrested. But that's for another day and another mystery. Indeed. Um, so, anyway... The relatives of the um, of the lost hikers take actually a big risk, and they go to the government office and they demand that there's a rescue operation. And um, John, why don't you take it from here? And just so okay, it was not until the relatives they demanded this rescue. And this rescue was a big operation. risk. Yeah, I, I had no doubt. It's February in Russia, so they demand that they have this rescue group and they it consists of volunteer students and teachers after sec after several unsuccessful attempts to locate the group the institute called for military involvement hmm. the army and militia forces soon began a hunt of their own possibly with their own motives as we have speculated earlier and john you know what the crazy thing is what is that even family members were surprised by the extent of the military search and rescue response which employed dozens of planes and helicopters um, which the military would not just do out of a request from a random civilian at any given time. So, But then the military would find something. What would they find? On February 26, rescuers found the group's abandoned and badly damaged tent. So this is two weeks exactly after they said they were supposed to show up. Yeah, time right? has passed. Yeah, time has you passed. You would be thinking the worst if you were mm -hmm. a family member. They went to the mountains, and then they just didn't. Oh, go. and then it's, it's They're two, two weeks, weeks later. Late. The campsite baffled the search party. Mikhail Sheravan, the man who found the tent, said the tent was torn, was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had, be le had been left behind, end quote. Investigators said the tent had been cut open from the inside. Eight or nine sets of footprints left by people who were wearing only socks, a single shoe, or were barefoot so could be followed. So basically, there's several footprints. They see one of the footprints just his socks on. Basically, they all left in a hurry. Yeah, right? I know. They all in the left, middle they, of the night. I know, but the other thing is, like, you just think about this for a second. So they all leave in a hurry. They cut their way. Well, I don't know if we're there yet, but it looks like they cut yeah, their way yeah. out of their. They cut Something their way out of their inside. tent. They leave fucking naked, and one of them is wearing one shoe. The other one, because he probably just didn't take his shoes off. Yeah. He was in the middle of it when they had to leave. It sounds like they had to leave extremely quickly. Yeah, like it sounds like there was something inside. Something that, appeared uh, inside. Somehow. Yeah, that uh, that needed them to leave immediately. immediately. In the middle of the night because they were probably all inside, like, in chilling. freezing weather. And the other yeah. thing is, is, like, I don't think these people would panic because they were, again, like... They're all experienced climbers. They're as experienced certified. They're certified as experienced as a climber can be in Russia at the time. Yeah, at the time. And that ain't wow, nothing. Russia's is, got some mountains. Keep going. This is kind of scary. Investigators said that the tent had been cut open, um, and basically, so the the the, tr the 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 only tracks could be followed led toward the nearby edge of the, of the woods on the opposite side of the past, one mile northeast of their campsite, so, of wait, the tent where they yeah, found it. Yeah, so bear in mind, they ran back to the place that they were like initially, initially trying to camping. avoid. Yeah. Um, oh, man, that sounds bad. Yeah. <laughs> However, after 1,500 feet, these tracks were covered with snow. So at least they didn't, we don't know if they got there, but like that's the direction they were all going. Yeah, they were going to the direction, then their tracks disappear for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Like they could have gotten got before that. Mm -hmm. We don't know. At the forest edge... Under a large cedar, the searchers found the visible remains of a small fire along with the first two bodies. Wait a minute. Wait those a minute. Wait of, a minute. So they got to the woods and they actually started a fire. They were there for a while. 
Oh, that's naked. fucking freaky, man. Like they had time. They got out, and yeah. we're like, "Oh shit, what was that in our mm-hmm. tent?" Anyway, do you think they were on acid? No, okay, because these were like Russian government people. Just ask, speculating. Have you acid. ever had an acid trip? Like, no, I don't think I don't think these people were on acid. Sure, just just asking. Um, but they found the visible remains of the first two bodies. Okay. Uh, excuse me, I was in the middle of a sip. Mm. So they found the first remains of the of the first visible bodies along the small fire, those of Karashenko, the animal expert, and Doroshenko, the demolitions expert, both lay shoeless and dressed only in their underwear. So they're both basically butt-fucking naked. The branches... Well, not are, really. They have their underwear. Yeah, well, they have underwear shoes. on, so they're fucking stomach-fucking naked. And so the branches on the tree above them were broken up at least five feet high, which suggested that at least one of the hikers had tried to climb up to the tree to look or possibly even escape from something. Dyatlovov, the leader, and Kalmora, the former ballerina, and Slobodin, the Soviet Party representative, were also they were also found nearby. And they seemed to have died in poses, suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tent from the woods, which is where they initially ran. They were found separately at distances of 300, 480, and 600 meters from the tree. So they're all like a couple hundred feet apart yeah. from each other. Like, And they're walking back to the tent for some reason. So, again, the search party... You wonder, did they even, if it was like a blizzard, did they even know that they were in the same vicinity? Like, Was it a blizzard, though? Well, at that point, I mean, we don't know. Like, we don't know or not know, but we know that they're up in the mountains, so it's possible there was a blizzard. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about being in out conditions. Mm-hmm. So you wonder, like, did those three people who were crawling there 180 and then 150 meters apart from each other, did they could they even see each other? That's a football field Maybe not, but, I mean, bear in mind, two of them did find each other, and they managed to make a fire Damn. under a cedar tree. Yeah, and one of them, other area. And one of them tried to climb up yeah, the tree for some Yeah, tried to look reason. around, maybe, or but, escape. But John, it gets stranger. So searching for the four other remaining travelers took more than two months. They were finally found on May 4th under four meters of snow in a ravine 75 meters farther into the woods from the giant cedar tree where they found the two people cooking the fire, right? Yeah. Um, these four were better dressed than the others, and there were signs that those who had died first had apparently relinquished their clothes to the others. So wait, let's back up a second. It looks like the people that had initially been found, the four first bodies that had been found, for whatever reason, had given their clothes to the second group of four bodies that have been found. Oh. And how odd is it that it's divided evenly? Like they find this group of dead people, and then they find then this, this separated group, group of dead people. With their clothes on. Yeah, exactly. So let's go into it. So Zolotarahov was wearing Dubina's faux four coat and hat. While Dubina's foot was wrapped in a piece of Kirishchenko's wool trousers, folks, I know these names are fucking it's confusing, tough. but we basically, go by, their, but basically go by their skills. Yeah, but basically, what you need to reckon from this is that they find four people, the four second group of Russians, and they're all dressed in each other's clothes for whatever reason. It looks like they all switched clothes. So let's let's go into the investigation. What happened next is the Communist Party of the Soviet Union began in a comprehensive investigation. Now they got bodies on their hands. They got bot. Well, they had a, they had millions of bodies on their hands, but they had ones that died in a particularly odd and terrifying way. And so a legal inquest started immediately, which is Soviet for investigation. After finding the first bodies, a medical examination found no injuries on their persons, which 
could definitively have been linked to their death, and it was initially concluded that they had died of the cold, although their position... Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but duh. But where they were and everything else about it made no sense. So one of them had a small crack in his skull, but it was not found to conclusively be the fatal wound. The plot, John, would, however, thicken. Soon. Once the snows would begin to thaw, investigators went back out to the area to find the other missing hikers, so it's the springtime. Yep. They soon found the bodies, and what they, fi- what they saw defied explanation. An examination of the four bodies, which were found in May, shifted the narrative entirely as to what occurred during the incident. Three of the ski hikers had fatal injuries. Um, Tribadour Bagnoles had it's a major... It's a tough name. Thibaut Bignolis had major skull damage, and both Dubinina and Zolotoryov had major chest fractures. According to Dr. Boris, a Soviet doctor, the force required required to cause such damage would have been extremely high, comparing it to the force of a car crash. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds related to the bone fractures, as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure. Hmm. So basically, like, there were no, Something like, fucking crushed them. From, like, the inside, though, Yeah, right? from like, the inside, yeah. something, like, crushed them. Oof. So, however, major external injuries were found on Dubinina, the former ballerina, who was missing her tongue, her eyes, and her lips, Ugh. as well as part of her scalp. And, and facial uh, tissue. And facial tissue. And um, she also had extensive skin lacerations on the palms of her hands. There was initial speculation that the indigenous Mansi people, who are local natives that are thought to live in the mountains, might have attacked and murdered the group for encroaching on their lands. But investigation indicated that the nature of their death did not support this hypothesis. The hikers' footprints alone were visible, and they showed no signs of a hand-to-hand struggle, but rather just a mauling. Like and, something, all, and they like all tried to burst out of their tent. Exactly. They cut like, out so, in a hurry. It, it just looked like a mauling to the investigators. Like something just came and just smothered them to death. Like there was no fighting back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if the if a couple people came and just like killed you, you'd fight back. Yeah. There'd but be this pro- was just like something giant came and jumped on them and ripped them to pieces. Ugh. So. Although the temperature was very low during the, the suspected times of the murder, about negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit, with a storm blowing, the dead were only partially dressed. Some of them had only one shoe, while others had no shoes, or others were just wore only socks. So again, there's re-emphasizing, they're yeah, only they're, wearing Yeah, they're not dressed rags. as you would be. No. Some were found wrapped in snips or ripped clothes that seemed to have been cut from those who were already dead. So some outlived the other ones that's yeah. bizarre they so, died at different times yeah. like like you're not you're developing a narrative here like they burst out of the tent all at once right like something yeah, is inside exactly. the tent like and let me let me say let me give you my piece they're in the middle of the night i suspect just because of the lack of clothing right mm-hmm. they're relaxed they're in their undergarments they're sleeping something freaks someone all ten of them someone out someone else Someone was definitely finger banging oh yeah absolutely but, I so but something freaks all these like experienced mountain climbers out simultaneously somebody something freaks all of these things out all at once in the middle of the night in so much that they can't even bother to unzip their tent it's quicker to grab a knife and cut it out and flee into the woods 
And then we just find bodies that die at different times, in different spots, in different ways, and separated from each other. Assumedly, I, I assume they sort of thought like, okay, there probably was a storm during this all, right? Go on. Yes, absolutely. But like you could just look at the past weather. Yes, exactly. There was clearly a storm going on, but it also seems like A, they there were two groups of people. There was a four and a four or a four and a five, and then they ran in two different directions, and like you said, they died at different times. If it was an avalanche or some like act of nature or something like that, then they probably all would have been killed simultaneously. But this seems like there was something that emerged from within their tent and and somehow chased them out and then they all died. Like we don't know. But John, at the same time, there was something strange that was happening right down the road. Now, later, a local boy, also named Yuri. We know there's been a lot of Yuris in this particular a lot case. Of it's a common name in Russia, 1915. It's, like it's like the Yuri equivalent of, like, Kevin. Yeah. So, so Yuri is Kevin. Yeah. Yuri, Yuri Kuncevic was a local boy who knew all the hikers, or knew five of the hikers, and he attended five of their funerals. He recalled that their skin had had a bizarre deep brown color, which is not in keeping with hypothermia or any other um, cold exposure you type. You blue, right? Yeah, you turn blue. You wouldn't turn brown. Yeah. So another group of hikers, at the same time as the deaths, about um, 31 miles away of the incident, reported that they saw strange orange spheres in the sky to the north on the night of the incident. Similar spheres were observed in adjacent areas continually during the period from February when the hikers were there to March of that year um, by various witnesses, actually, including the Soviet Meteorology Service and the Soviet military, wow. which they have declassified. Um, however, these sightings were not noted in the official investigation in 1959 and various witnesses only came forward after the dissolution of the Soviet Union and they could do so without going to jail. We'll find out why they would go to jail in a second. John. This is heavy, man. Like yeah. I've never heard about any of this. And it's just like, at least, like, look, we put a look into this as factually as we can. And it's yeah. just like, well, if, I, if I'm adding this up as a cognitive, reasonable person, like, maybe so, a bunch of people saw lights in the sky yeah. over a mountainous area in backwoods Russia mm -hmm. and there meanwhile we know that a hiking group would have been in the area directly under those lights mm -hmm. during that time period yeah. oh guess what they all show up murdered in different horribly. ways they horribly they all die horribly horribly and in t and wow in, and they all die horribly and in fear because it looks like Clearly they ran scared. out of the tent terrified and naked and afraid. Naked and afraid. It's like the Discovery man, Channel God show. Damn, that's nuts. Yeah. So in 1967, Sverdlovsk writer and journalist Yuri Yuriyovi, a different Yuri than both the one on the There's trip and the, ch and the child. So we're on our sixth Yuri. That's why This Yuri, Yuri Yerovovi, Yerovwa, published the novel of the highest degree of complexity inspired by the incident. Yerevois had been involved in the search for Yatlov's group. So and he had direct experience. Yeah, and he was at the inquest of the, as an official photographer during both the search and the initial stage of the investigation. And so he had some keen insight into the events. Uh, the book was written during the Soviet era when details of the accident were kept very secret. And Yerevois... Uh, 
avoided revealing anything beyond the official position and well-known facts. So Bear in mind, just, so the book's prop semi maybe propaganda. Like it's there's blind spots. I feel like okay, here's what I think. I don't know if this is propaganda. I feel like this was a guy who was a novelist who was trying to write something under the guise of fiction that might have purported the truth. Because bear in mind, like, if you wrote about, if you, it's not like America, you can't write, like, if Don, like, let's say Donald Trump is the premier of Russia, you can't write, fuck Donald Trump in the newspaper, like, go against his official narrative. You're going to go to jail. Like, in this time period, if this guy came out and, like, yeah, I, I get it. I get like, it. I think he just wrote a novel, probably like saying like his interpretation of the actual events, but it came out under the guise of fiction. True. So, John, um, basically, the book, the book was written during the Soviet era, as we said. So he had to um, cover up details. So the book romanticized the incident and had a much more optimistic end than the real events. The only the group leader was found diseased in the book. And bear in mind, folks, we'll get to why this is important. So Yerevov's colleagues say that he had an alternative versions of the novel, but both were declined because of censorship by the government. Ah, I see. Yep. yep. Since Yerevov's death in 1980, all of his archives, including photos, diaries, and manuscripts, have been destroyed and lost by the to government. time. Yeah. <laughs> so, John, it gets thicker. Anatoly Gushkin. Gushkin summarized his research in the book The Price of State Secrets is Nine Lives. Mm. Wow, that's an apt name, right? Yep. That's fucking he, You know what else he has wrote nine that, lives? He wrote that and was like, fucking print that shit. Yeah. And give me all the money I am due for this book. Do you know what he said next? Job. You know what else has nine lives? Cats. Cats? <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. Got him. There Some go. researchers criticized the novel due to its concentration on the speculative theory of a Soviet secret weapon experiment, but its publication led to the public discussion stimulated by interest in the normal in the paranormal. So basically people were interested in just like looking for conspiracy theorists. Yeah, right? exactly. But I mean, like, what else could this possibly be? Yeah. Indeed, many of those who remained silent for 30 years reported new facts about the entire accident. One of them was the former police officer, Lev Ivanov, who led the official inquest in 1959. So he is the guy leading the investigation. He's leading the investigation, basically, and he has something to say later? I'll listen to him. What did he have to say? In 1990, he published an article which included his admission that the investigation team had no rational explanation for the accident. He also stated... After his team reported that they had seen the flying spheres around the area, he then received direct orders from high-ranking regional officials to dismiss this claim and speak nothing of it to anyone. After the incident, the Soviet government closed off the site for three years without an apparent reason. So I want to say something like, let's let's just put Sounds this in... fucking speculate. Let's put this in context for a second, though. So this guy... Recap, real quick. Okay, so... Top to bottom, give me 60 seconds. Okay, so we'll recap in 60 seconds. Nine hikers go on a hike in um, to the Girl Mountains. Ten in the Soviet. Yeah, well, nine minus one. Nine, nine, minus one. Nine, nine, nine minus one who should have bought a knee pad. Knee yep. And so nine minus one who should have bought a knee pad go into the Ural Mountains in uh, 1959. All of them die in bizarre and crazy circumstances. One of them is missing all, both her eyes and her tongue. The other ones are butt naked. Other and, it, and, it, ways. and it just looks strange. And then the Soviet Union, the communist wall, the Iron Curtain, so to speak, the um, mayor of... Oh, meanwhile, people saw 
People saw sphere, glowing spheres in the area. I was going to get to oh, that. sorry. My bad. So, yeah, people are seeing glowing spheres in the area, and then all of a sudden the, nine, the Iron Curtain comes down. People have freedom in Russia, kind of. Again, <laughs> but cool. yeah, you know, but you know, a little more than before. And so immediately, 1990, right when the Soviet Union's coming down, the guy that led this investigation says, we have no idea what the fuck was going on when we were doing that. Not only, but we also saw orange spheres in the sky and my boss has told me not to say anything about it. If that's Whoops. not strange, I don't know what is. Yeah. And let's, let's get to oh, this. So what are, what are some of the theories that people have been saying? So, okay, a lot of the theories initially, uh, investigators thought that an avalanche may be the cause of the deaths, but this theory has since been discredited. Evidence, obviously, you know, because an avalanche won't cut your tongue out. Yeah, and um, or your eyes. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so the reasons why this is bullshit was the location of the incident did not have any obvious signs of an avalanche having nearby. I, okay, I don't even feel like I need to go over this. But no, like, it, it wasn't an avalanche. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely an avalanche. An avalanche doesn't make you fucking okay, take your pass, clothes off. Pass. Okay, so the other explanations, and by the way, an avalanche also wouldn't make you run out of your tent but fucking nope. naked. It Cut just, your no. way out of your tent. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you like, would like stay in it, I feel like. You'd be like, I Let's feel like you stay. wouldn't even know if you were in your tent until well, it was in, an in, in, in an avalanche, in like a 10 person tent, in an avalanche. That's a sturdy tent. Mm. You hear an avalanche. If you're an experienced hiker, I feel like you'd be like, all right, let's put our shit on, brace ourselves as best we can. Yeah. Because you're fucked either way, but like a tent, Dig will, out. Give you, a tent will give you some solace. You have your gear present. You have your gear You'll present, be okay. and you're in like a little sack, yeah. so to speak. So you, you know could like I mean? you you'd be in like a little enclosed bubble. Because assuming it has like you know just like the, the framing, you'd be in a closed bubble, like cut your way out, dig snow, and just start like digging your way out. Exactly, Uber like, Thurman style. That, in, that uh, would Kill not Bill. scare you. It would not no. scare you. Well, I mean, it would scare you. Yeah. But okay. You're it would right. scare you, but I don't think you'd run out butt fucking naked, panicking in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. So, guys, there are other theories too, obviously, because that one's retarded. So, <laughs> one of them is military tests. So, some people believe it was a military accident, which was then covered up. There are records of a parachute mine being tested by the Russian military in the area around the exact time that the hikers were there. Parachute mines detonate a meter or two before they hit the ground and produce a similar and produce similar damage to those experienced by the hikers. Like but again, why did they run naked out of their tent? Yeah, I Have, mean, did one land right on top? I mean, like, maybe? Maybe, but, okay, so the parachute mine causes heavy internal damage with little external trauma. Mm. There were also glowing orbs reported in the sky in that general vicinity, which obviously an explosion in the sky would cause. cause. So that sounds semi-plausible. Plausible, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so this theory in particular, when speculating on the radiological weapons, is partly based on the discovery of radioactivity on some of the clothing, as well as the bodies being described by relatives that as is having strange. orange screen and gray. So like, they were maybe the tan, the brown skin comes from radioactivity. Yeah, I know, but... Radio radioactive material was discovered on their clothing. Experimental that's, weapons. That's bizarre. Or aliens. Like, let me put it this way: like, no I'm matter, not this no, is matter not aliens. no matter how you, I'm slice not convinced it, that this wasn't like. Oh, like we've talked about how we believe that aliens have possibly visited Earth. Okay, folks, wait. We just got to back up for a second, not to get I'm too just, off, I mean, I, not I, to get I, too I'm off the beaten path here. But on the front page of the New York Times, no less than three months ago, they had a story about the Air Force coming out and saying that there are sh there's things that fly around the sky all the time that they that, don't know what that the they, fuck they just it is. don't know what they are. We're not they saying it's aliens, but they don't know what they are. Like weird orbs that fly around. So could it be aliens? 
could it be something? Maybe not even aliens. Let's not put the let's not put the label of sure. alien on it. Sure, it could be like I'm, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying another country. It's a fucking thing. An otherworldly being is what I call. It. But anyway, um, where were we? I, I I I don't even need the notes anymore. Like I just I want to I want to talk about this man because like we yeah, have, look, like we don't need this. Like no, it's we fine. don't need like, this. So I mean, folks, there's been a lot. Talk to me, man. Like where's your head at? Because honestly, okay, I've never so heard, like, my my gonna, mind just, is blown. I'm not man. gonna read it, but I'm gonna brush over the theories. So there's been a lot of them. Whether it was a bear attack or a yeti or um, abominable snowman. Not that I don't think there was a dis- funny funny fact. Naf. So there was um. There was a Discovery Channel documentary no less than two years ago that came out and explored the possibility that a Yeti did this, and they immediately said that it was not a Yeti <laughs> at the end of that same Nailed documentary. It. Nailed it. So I have a question. What yeah. do you think? Dude, honestly, I my, okay, my theory is that I think it was a alien, a rogue, not like, okay, I think, I think we've in a serial Earth, killing alien. I think, I think Earth has been visited by both benevolent and malicious aliens alike. Yeah. But not aliens that are so much malicious in a sense like world dominating. Like your average street killer alien. It's just like Mike come here. So it's here. just some guy. It's, it's some one guy, dude. It's some that, guy that just, got yeah, a passport to Earth. You, okay, you, you wanted to ask me. Did you want to tell people what I think or do you want me to say what I think? I want to kind of frame what you think. See, that's okay, what so I go, like. yeah. go. So I think that like sort of just like a solo actor, a non-state-based alien actor, just comes and happenstances on a group of you know young, nubile, healthy-blooded hikers. You know they're all in great shape. They don't eat a lot of fats. They have a lot of not a lot of starch or bread in their so diet. So he's eating them. Yeah, he like he so de- it's like- devoured their life force one way or another. Why and does he care about the, the starch in their body if it's their life force? Ben, I don't know his diet. I'm just saying. He devours their life force and leaves. Yeah, but That's I, my theory. Well, did Go, he physically eat their flesh? He ate the one girl's tongue and some other eyes. Okay, so it was eaten. Okay, so here's my theory. What I think is this. We know for a fact that at this very same time period, the Russian government was experimenting with breeding humans with gorillas. I think that the Ural Mountains probably served as a test site for one of the many Soviet human-gorilla hybrid factories in which they were trying to create super soldiers. Yo, is that for real? Yes. Oh, shit, we're doing that soon. Which were part human, part gorilla. John, true story. In one very famous case... Don't go too much into it, because we're going to do another episode of that. I'm just going to give a teaser. (laughs) In one very famous case, a woman claimed to have given birth to a part monkey, part man, which they immediately shot in the head with a gun. But here's what I think. I think that the mountains are a perfect environment for a part man, part monkey. And I it think, escaped. Something like yes. something escaped. Well, think about it. That has the intelligence yeah. of a man and the ferocity of a monkey. Like there's a Soviet this, Union compound in the mountains, right? Sorry, I shouldn't interrupt. Go yeah, on. you shouldn't because it's extremely unforgiving and our audience fucking despises you for it. But that monkey man, like think about it. Not just like all people aren't created equal. Not all monkey men are created equal. And you can find a psychotic human gorilla in any in any population of human gorillas it's one out of a hundred that's yeah. a fact so this guy he escaped from his lair where they were breeding the monkey people and he found this group of hikers he broke into their tent and then what he did was he chased them out of it they cut their way out he you know he did horrible he you know he he did he had his way with them basically 
and I think that's exactly what happened, and anyone that disagrees with me is a moron. All right, well having said that, I think that brings us to the end of tonight's mystery, and I honestly, my mind, I can't really, I, I need to take a beat after this, because my mind has been blown, and I want to thank you, Ben, for the research on this. Ben, who are your sources tonight? No, I don't need to know. Ben, who are your sources? So John, our sources tonight were our trusted friend and Wikipedia. heterosexual lover, Wikipedia. And, of course, the Russian people. The Russian people, we could not have done this without you. You guys have been through some shit. And, guys, as always, I would like to implore you to subscribe and review to the next episode or this episode or any episode or just the podcast in general, Two Drunk Mysteries. We would also like to give a very, very heartfelt thanks to Arrogant Bastard Ale, the best ale that you'll find. If you're not a pansy. A big shout out to uh, our senior producer, Rick Warren, and uh, our sound engineer, Dan Burton. Um, that, wow, I'm just, I, that is so, that's so deep. Uh, anyway, check us out on Instagram. It's at Drunk Mysteries, if you haven't already. Uh, subscribe and review, like Ben said. I got nothing else. Ben, you good? I'm good. We'll see you next time on Drunk, Drunk Mysteries. Mysteries.